Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another edition of Adventures in Careerland. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Adriano Magnifico. I'm the career lead at the Louis Riel Arts and Technology Center. And that's one of those special places in Louis Riel School Division where students can access 13 programs of applied technical or apprenticeship quality and it's a place where high school students can partake international students can partake and post-secondary students can also partake it's one of those special places where students get a little extra practical hands-on training in an area about which they're curious and that's really important the beauty of the high school student doing it is you get to do it as part of your 30 credit collection in high school so while you may be taking some courses in high school where you're going, do I have to take this? You come directly to the Arts and Tech Center and you get some real credits in plumbing, in childcare, in automotive, in culinary, in pastry. You can become a chef in this space. But the great program that I like to work with and the one that is the powerful program that runs it's the engine that runs the adventures in career land podcast is the broadcast media program and i'm not in the studio right now i'm at home because i've had a knee operation a replacement and it's beginning to feel better uh, i'm beginning to move my knee thanks for all those cards and letters everyone and it's beginning to bend my knee's beginning to bend how exciting so I'm excited to be back there in the next semester, but for now, I'm in the yellow room in my house. In the yellow room here, and I'm connecting with my two able, intelligent, hardworking, and I gotta say today, very tired co-hosts who spent a big evening doing some work. I'm gonna ask them about that in a second. But of course, I'm talking about students who are about to graduate from the broadcast media program, one of those 13 programs. In, in which they get skills that the regular high school program just can't deliver on. So I'm really happy and proud to have CJ. How are you today, CJ? I'm doing Identify okay. Identify them. How are you? Um, I got my coffee this morning, so I'm trying to stay awake as best <laughs> as possible. But yeah, it was a really late night last night. Well, tell us a bit about what you were doing. Um, while well, we were filming the, um, I believe it's provincial championship. The, the MH, it's it's a yes. lot of letters, lots of acronyms. Oh, MHSW yeah, yeah. Quad A Varsity Volleyball, girls and boys. It was a yeah. championship matches. Um, and if you know anything about volleyball, there is no time limits for some reason. Mm -hmm. So it went to <laughs> all five sets, and both games went to all five sets. So it was very late. I think I got home around like two a.m. Wow. Wow. And you're here. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of this program. It, it reminds you about things you need to get done, things that finish, things that are tough, things you have to overcome, things you have to persevere on. So I'm super proud of you for being here. Our other co-host, you saw a flash of him, is Andre Boisjoli. How are you, sir? And you've been busy away. You've been ill. You've had a couple of, of, of sojourns you've had to complete. Mm -hmm. So super glad to have our original podcast host here who's been, been with us for the beginning. And he's back from St. Adolph. You drove in here. It was a little slippery. It was Tell a, us a little bit about last night. Well, last night. So I was at the task of being the uh, super duper producer, as you would say. So uh, I uh, managed people around. I make 
make sure everything was uh, was going as planned. Uh, and uh, talking to the refs, to the coaches for the interviews. And yeah, it was, I, I gotta say, there was a bit of stress involved, but uh, at the end of the night, we all packed up and we went home and I slept. So Oh, and we took a group picture. And we too. did t- take a group picture. So at the end, it, did, it worked out. It worked out. Hey, those are great moments. And I, I submit to you, um, Andre and CJ, that these will be the, some of the memorable experiences that you will speak about down oh, for the road. Sure. It's, usually, it's usually those kind of extracurricular activities that students remember. They don't really remember that lesson on the War of 1812 in history class, but they're quick to remember. Do you remember that time we were we were there till midnight and we were struggling through it? When you said there was a lot of tension, what was the tension in your experience? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, the the timing sometimes, sometimes, you you know, we had planned to have the coaches have mics. We mic them up. We've done this in the past. Of course, some coaches are not too for, you know, they're not for the, that idea. Though we told them there is a, a little mute thing. But I said in in between sets or during timeouts, especially during timeouts, it'd be good to have some audio on and maybe hear what you're saying. You know, it helps with the, well, the as, aspect of I've TV. Got, Listen, Andre, I've coached 60 to 70 teams in my life. You don't want to hear me mic'd up on the bench. Some of the well, language no, 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 that's no, under my bench. Well, that's why, that's why, no, no, not, not on the bench, Mr. Magnifico. It's only during timeouts. Only during the timeouts. But they would keep it off. Even, even then, like you're, because you're intimately involved in a game and there's tension in the game and you're plotting and figuring out, if it's not going well, mm-hmm. there's some things you say under your breath. You heard me say him on a podcast sometime. You've edited it out. And I'm a happy-go-lucky person here. Uh, It's just I'd be be a little reluctant to put that mic in me too unless it was a formal interview. Mm -hmm. And I know that's cool. I always watch the like some of the pro sports when they mic up a person uh, and you hear an F sharp or you hear something coming out of that during the mic up. That's a... I, 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 I can see why they wouldn't do it. I can also see the tension of you trying to convince them to do that. So when a guy didn't want to do that, what would you try to say to convince him well, to do I wouldn't, it? Well, I wouldn't say we had a coach who didn't want to do it. Uh, some were more hesitant. Though, uh, I mean, it worked out in the end. Some turned it off for the whole game. Whatever. You know, we used the yeah, other coach. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I think it, it was good TV. I mean, at the end, uh, it got a little tense. Oh, it was the, yeah. the boys game, our last game that went all the way till midnight. It was the St. Paul's. St. Paul's head coach. Crusaders he, against. He got so angry that once the ball. Did they lose? Did they did Paul lose. Yeah. And it was, <gasps> it was a really close game, right? It was against mm. Ste- the Steinbach Sabres. Yes, so yes. Uh, yeah, well, they ended up losing, and it was really tight. the The coach got kicked out at the end of the game because he had kicked the ball and it bounced off the wall. Yeah, he had a fit. So then, so then, what happened is that the it was like the fifth set, which means it only goes up to fifteen. Yes. yes so yes, the yes. point went to Steinbach's. So now it was fourteen fifteen. So he gave Steinbach a point, and you of mean, course, you mean he got a point for a technical foul? There? Yes, he did, and he got oh kicked out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he, so he got caught, kicked out of the game. Cost him the championship? Oh my god! I know, I know. Hey, so that would have been—you should have mic'd him up at that point. That <laughs> oh, would have been great. Well, that at that see, at that point, him. he didn't have the mic off. He took it off. He took it off. <laughs> didn't oh he like gosh. throw it on the ground or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah, good. That's yeah, that thousand-dollar mic. We appreciate that, coach. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> hey, I, I, I mean this sincerely. Thank you both for coming in, uh, and. 
thanks for all these great lessons that you got. Thanks to this program for giving you those great lessons about finishing and doing stuff. I tell you, we got a great program today. We got a, what's the word, a sock the logger show today. It's a, it's a state of the art. We have a great guest that I've known for a while, and she is from Nelson McIntyre Collegiate from 2018. I got to know her there, and she is Kiara Reiner. How are you, Kiara? Good, doing good. Happy to be here. Oh, so, so so pleased to have you. Now, I got to know you at Nelson Mack in 2018, and we chatted yesterday. I always talk with the guests the day before, and we had a long, we pretty much have our own podcast for a half hour. We just start chatting about whatever comes to our mind, and that's the way, that's what we do in this podcast. We try to get the stories of people, and, and the stories have been many times inspirational. Well, we have some students, I have some students send me notes saying that story just is exactly what I was thinking and it's exactly the way I felt. Uh, thank you for the inspiration. I think these stories are so important to tell. That's why we do the Adventures in Careerland podcast because there's an opportunity to tell stories to help students connect and see similarities and possibilities for themselves. So Kiera's got, you, you got one of those cool stories. And I remember meeting you in the hallway. I tried to recruit you into that Imagine program at Nelson Mack. And of course, you rebuffed me at every opportunity. But you were so busy. Because you were so busy, I, I, I said to you yesterday, you, have such, you had such a cool edge to you about, I want to get things done. You were busy. When you were Nelson Mack, go back to those days. And that's not long ago. That's like four or five years ago now, right? Now, what was your life as a student like? What can you remember about being a Nelson Mack student? Wow, yeah, it was four years ago, which doesn't seem long, but it feels long ago. Um, I just remember I was, in that time, very fixated on basketball. Like, it was my love. It was all I wanted to do and think and talk about. I had some other stuff going on, like band and classes, but basketball was what I wanted to do during the lunch hour. So <laughs> I just yeah. remember loving it. And I remember watching, I remember saying, I coached uh, uh, some, some decent basketball at River East Collegiate back in the uh, uh, late 90s, uh, early 90s, mid 90s, whatever. And um, I remember uh, watching you play. Cause I, I used to go love watching. You remember my office was up over top. I don't know if you remember, but I could look over the basketball and watch the games in that office that was overlooking the whole gym. And I used to watch and I thought, my gosh, you're tough out there. You were one of those people I love to have on a team. Where I tap you on the shoulder and just say, make sure no one else gets the rebound, okay, from here on in. And you, and you would just, I thought you had the big elbows, and you could really, really box those guys out. Is that was, what did you like about playing basketball? That was something that attracted you. You liked playing. How did you get into basketball? Because when you came to Nelson, you weren't, were you a basketball player? No. No. So what attracted you to play in this game? I, I saw this great energy of you out there, and I thought, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I went to the school I went to didn't have any sports programs. So then when I got to Nelson and there was like volleyball and basketball and ultimate frisbee, I wanted to do all of it. And then basketball was just the one that I felt I like just naturally started getting pretty good at. I had a really good connection with Miss um, Ryback, who was our coach, who still is like definitely a role model to me. And then I just started practicing, playing during the summer. And then by grade 12, I was a captain and I was so honored to have that position and loved every second of it but yeah i like shooting that was what i loved to do so what did you feel like i was captain so what did you feel like your responsibility was as captain um with our team we had a lot of we were a really close knit team and we didn't have a huge team at any given time it might we might have like six to eight people at every game but so we were all like really personally involved 
So it's really about just keeping the energy high and good and making sure no one got stuck in any like bad moods or like low emotional points or get too affected if something wasn't going on our way. So it was, it was mainly an atmosphere thing because we all were practicing so tightly that we, we felt confident playing, but it was more about our mindset. Well, how did you, yeah, keep, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. How did oh, you sorry, keep that? You talk about, you know, you're a small group and you still kept that positive atmosphere going. How? Give me examples. Um, it might be just tapping someone on the shoulder and just giving them that look that like, okay, you need to step out of it. It might be on the timeout just saying like, hey, reminder, remember what we talked about? This is what we need to do. I remember we went through a little phase where we would meditate before games in the change room. Oh my gosh. What? How, how did you come up with that? Was that Ryback? It was Ryback's friend who was helping out. Um, so like our assistant coach at the time. And she was talking about meditation. And then one time we decided to do it before a game. We all got in the room. And then that game went super well. And then we continued to do it. And at first, I think we all thought it was a little bit silly. But it allowed us to focus in. And it, it worked. It works. Do you still use meditation? I try. But if I'm being honest, like, no. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Like, yeah. I, like I, do you have the kind of brain where things are are racing through your mind and it's hard to keep things out and you're you've got so many things going and you're trying to you're trying to order them and find the places where you're going to finish and do and all that kind of thing oh yeah definitely that's busy now you were a good student too so it wasn't like i was just playing basketball or i want to play all the sports you're attracted to the sports you have this athletic mm -hmm. little bug in you right yeah. uh so at, academically how did you fare it at, at nelson mac and what courses did you gravitate towards as, as they began to unfold, because school's an odd place, right? We always talk about collecting dots. You're collecting those dots of basketball. And look at the things you talked about in your basketball experience that the regular classroom would not provide, right? A chance to be a captain, mm -hmm. a chance to meditate, a chance to figure out how to cheerlead and support and lead. School doesn't provide that in its academic programming. So academically, what are you gravitating towards? And do you see, did you see opportunities in your academic programs to say, I, I want to do more? Yeah, with, and I'm just going to be totally honest because I hope that someone out there can relate. But when I was in high school, I didn't really try that hard. Like I got pretty good grades, but I, I handed everything in last minute before the deadline. I... I remember I made the decision in grade 12 to take essentials instead of pre-cal and it was a big deal because all my friends were taking pre-cal and they were like what like essentials like no like you're so pre-cal is like the smart math and I just remember in grade 12 I school was like on the bottom of my priority list I still did good because my mom was on me about school at all times but I definitely didn't like apply myself fully in high school well that well that's interesting because you got awards at the end so you're just a smart person one of these smart persons <laughs> that I would have envied in high school. Here I am studying like a Trojan and you're, you're just not even, your mom's kicking your butt to get your work in and get stuff done. And that's part of it too. Like I, I, when I was at Nelson Mac, what, did you meet deadlines or did you, are you a negotiator? Did you work out? Ah, I got to get yeah. this in here. <laughs> Definitely a negotiator. I remember there was about like three weeks before the semester ended and my mom got a phone call from one of our teachers saying that I had a 26% in the class because I hadn't added in any of the work yet. And this was during like playoffs and stuff. So I did, I was like 
not prioritizing it. And then like 48 hours before I just did every single assignment and handed it in and I ended up getting like 92 or something. And my mom was like, I don't know how you did that, but don't do that again. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so I didn't really get to learn my lesson in high school, but you, I did in university. <laughs> well, well, you figured it out in university. So high school, is it fair to say, and CJ and, and, uh, and Andre, you can pipe in on this if you like, what's the big difference between high school and university? for our view, for our listeners out there. Oh, I think the differences in high school, at least, especially at Nelson, because we had a small population, you have such personal relationships with your teachers that it's kind of like almost like with your parents, you know, you can get away with a little bit. When you get in university, it's not like that. The professors, um, and I go to UW, so it's smaller. So I do know them, but they are very persistent on making sure that every student is getting like fair treatment so they can't like let you have things in late or do anything like that so i i quickly got like whipped into place about making sure my assignments were in on time and that i was in class because particip participation marks are a huge thing and yeah i got straight yeah. out in university <laughs> do, you, do you have an example in university of uh you getting straightened out by a prof yeah my biggest thing was so the first six months of university were the hardest because my like basketball career ended and I started school. You know, I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted to do ball. Like that was always my main goal, but I didn't really know like how I was going to get there. So I just started taking classes I was interested in. And I remember I had an exam in my first course ever and I got 52, which was like mind blowing, like shocking, ripped the carpet from under my feet moment because I always got such good grades. And I just remember feeling so like defeated and talking to my mom yes. saying that I don't have basketball anymore. Like maybe I should just go to Red River and play basketball. I don't even, I don't like my courses. I'm not doing good. And I ended up dropping that course and picking up a different course. And then just like really focusing on school making sure I was studying and not procrastinating. And I, and I ended up doing really well, but it was that moment. There was those couple months where I was like, Oh, is this for me? Yeah. So, so what are those courses? Is it because I'm just trying to figure this out. So, it was the second course that you took, you know, after you dropped out of the first one? Is was it something that you were more interested in? Was it something that you could find yourself more engaged in? Yeah, definitely. So when I went in and I just decided, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of everything. That was like a science course, okay. and then quickly realized I don't have a science or math brain. I'm very much more, I, I enjoy writing essays and looking at theories. So I replaced my psychology course with philosophy and I got an A plus on that course and like loved it. Um, so it was just like what? finding oh, what gosh, I, I actually enjoyed. I love philosophy. How did the philosophy mm -hmm. influence your thinking? I love that course, it's, it's spectacular. You know, from Nietzsche oh. to Montesquieu to John yeah. Locke, like, like Adam Smith. So how did that course influence? I recommend to every student, I say, you know what, if you're going to university, you're going to an arts program, you should take philosophy. No, I don't want to take that. You should take it. I can't even tell you why, but it will change you in ways you can't even imagine. Did it help change a little bit of you or make you think differently? Oh, definitely. It's, it's the whole class is dedicated to thinking about theories of life and how you view, view things and your morals and what drives you and how you connect to like the external world 
And you can't study those theories without reflecting on yourself and what you think about what people are writing. So you start to, I think that's when you really start to develop your understanding of like who you are and how you want to interact with the world. And I got a lot out of that course. Would you say if they offered that course in high school, it would be beneficial as well because it would help you find out who you are sooner? Great question. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's intimidating about the university setting is that you're getting graded. A lot of people care about their GPA depending on what field they want to go into. But I feel like in a high school setting, if you could just explore that without this like intense pressure of like you have an exam about it and it could just be actually like talking and exploring these theories in a a less intense zone, I think that would be really beneficial. Would you say that's the key course you've had in university? Because you've majored in, and we talked about this yesterday, you moved into human rights, conflict resolution as major pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that so important to you? And did the philosophy course help to connect those pieces for you? Like you talked about, what I love about what you said is reflecting. Did high school give you any time to reflect? I I would say high school, yeah, high school doesn't provide the same type of reflection you get to do in university, especially that's what drew me to conflict resolution. In those courses, you're writing a lot about the personal conflicts you've had with people and how you've gone through them, how you reacted and maybe how you should have reacted, mediating conflicts and those types of reflections. Yes. Are, you're, sometimes when you're writing, you don't even realize that you have this experience and you're like, oh yeah, I remember there was one time I was younger and I cut my hair like short not even that short, like up to here. And my mom, I came downstairs, I had cut my hair and my mom looked at me and was like, oh my gosh, your hair, you look like a boy with your hair cut that short. And I remember being so startled and then forgot about that memory, moved on. I'm in my second year of university writing this paper. And then I start talking about that experience and then talking about kind of storytelling and how I was looking through a box of photos with my mom and she showed me how her hair was always cut so short and how her mom would always cut her hair so short and it made her not feel as like feminine and beautiful and the feeling she wanted to feel. And then I realized I could connect those two situations and I wrote this whole paper about it. And even though it was just a paper, I was able to be like, oh, I understand that better. I understand my relationship with my mom better and her experiences better. And it was, that's just one, one assignment and one example, but yeah. I feel like conflict resolution should be a mandatory course in university. Oh, that's spectacular because that's what university should be. It should be a time not only of consuming information. It should be a time of reflecting on the information and how it connects to you as a person so that you can make purposeful decisions about your life. So now as you've moved into this conflict resolution, human rights, as you move forward, you're about to graduate. You're a UAW graduate. How does that feel? It's exciting. You're, you're I'm close. Excited. You're close. So how does that feel about – how do you feel about – what you've majored in, what what you've chosen, the courses you've done, and where do you think that's going to lead you down the road? Any thoughts on it? Is there anything definite right now, or are you still pondering and, and, and considering the path? Yeah, so when I, kind of how I mentioned, before I even knew what I wanted to major in, my goal was always law school. I took the LSAT in June, that's what I was going to do, and then I started working on the Sean Looney campaign and started getting involved with other opportunities and jobs and then I had to reflect again (laughs) and think do I want to ignore these opportunities because I'm so focused and you talked about how how headstrong or like that edge I have and how I'm so focused on like going down this lane and this is what I viewed my like path to success um so I decided that when I graduate 
I'm going to take a one year off and explore some of my opportunities and like see what happens and then reevaluate. But what I fell, fell in love with, with human rights and the campaign and working within social media, which is what I did on the campaign, is storytelling. I think that that is the key component in everything that no matter what I end up doing, that that will be a major role in it. So how did storytelling get into that Sean Loney campaign, that storytelling factor that you just talked about? Yeah, well, storytelling is part of everything, especially in the campaign. The story we were sharing is, here's this person who has been working in Winnipeg their entire working life on the issues that matter the most to Winnipeggers. And this is the story of who he is and why you should want to support him. He's not a politician. You really have to paint the narrative of what's happening or else someone will do it for you. Well, And storytelling, especially in human rights, just opens up understanding and like bridges connections that you wouldn't think is possible. So it's such a strong tool in conflict it, resolution and human rights and everything. Yeah, well, I think especially in political campaigns, you see that more often, especially during federal elections, provincial elections, municipal, you know, candidates will be like, hi, I'm your local candidate. I'm relatable, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. And have I come from stores. a small family. I used to live in a rural town. Yep. With a, we had a white picket fence. And yep. every morning, mom came home and made us uh, dinner. And, you know, that you see lots of that during uh, campaigns. And I think, you know, I don't know. Can storytelling sometimes be used in a, in a manipulative, manipulative way? way? Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Whatever story you're telling, you could be... The story could be a lie. The story could be the benefit of why you're telling that story can be for different intentions. Mm -hmm. um, most of my experience with it has been in that human rights lens. So yeah. I've seen the benefits of it and what it's been able to do for people. But most definitely, it can be manipulated and deceitful. That's fascinating. The fact that you joined the Sean Loney campaign, that's political. And it's funny, I've been on a couple of campaigns and I've worked on a couple of campaigns. And how difficult that is. And it's funny that you said he's not a, I liked it because he's not a politician. But here's what I submit on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> there is, it's a job description. And when you play the card, and this is what I, when I worked with on those campaigns with, of someone else, um, uh, you need to know what the job description of a politician is. Because the mm -hmm. other guys who do know it will win the election. And those who pretend they're not doing that, generally lose the election because it's a job description it's like being a plumber in its own context and you have to know i love what you said about storytelling you have to know how to leverage the story i love what you said about and control the narrative mm -hmm. because it can get away from you so fast did you see the narrative getting away sometime what did you feel like like you went into a political world yeah. How did you feel about that politics? And and then I submit, I'm going to ask CJ and Andre as well. Did you care about the mayoral election? Because oh. Kiara did. Big time. <laughs> I'm sure me and Andre have very different opinions on that yeah. one. But that's okay. Yeah. Let's hear let's hear from Kiara and then if uh, if you folks can also pipe in on that one. I'm curious about what your thoughts are. Yeah, like when when I look at what happened with the election, I mean, you can say that like, oh, this went wrong, here's where we made a mistake. So some stuff we can like indefinitely look at, like where did our votes come from and where did they didn't? Where did we miss? But with the storytelling element, 
it, that's a really hard thing to measure because yes. just as easily as you could say, oh, maybe people didn't believe in like the political skills needed to be a politician. You could also say Sean could have been in the less than 4% with all the other people that stuck their name in that don't have established supporters. So it's a hard thing to kind of determine like how successful that aspect was. But yes. I think that it was because he was um, the only person without previous established politician with supporters that made it in the top four that was a, that had a moment where he was tied with Gillingham in second going into the um, second half of the election. So, yes. I mean, media controls a lot too. like the narrative of kind of how it ended up being like Murray versus Gillingham. Like that was very media yes. painted a certain narrative and there's stuff that you can't control. And that's but the overall, narrative. And, and that's yeah. where you lose control of that narrative, right? The media is taking it and branding it something different. It's between these two guys. And I, I, I saw that in the media too, because I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of Sean and I've known him for many years and he's a, he's, he's a smart guy and he's done so much incredible activism work and yeah. he's really made a difference in the inner city. This is a guy literally, if, if, and if I were the current mayor, I would talk to him and say, you need to come and share your vision and what you've done because Sean is a difference maker. So I, it's pretty cool yeah. you, you latched on to that guy uh, mm -hmm. in the best way, right? In, 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 into that campaign. What did you do in the campaign that built that built you and your confidence and your skill set? What did you do? So I was the social media manager. So I was responsible for creating content, managing the content, managing comments and responding. I A lot of times I was like the voice for Sean responding to things. Um, it was a really interesting role. I got to work with amazing like PR uh, companies, people who teach Krecom at Red River. I got to work with, and the thing about social media, because you're representing the entire platform publicly, you have to know everything. So I had to know every little detail about every uh, platform announcement. I had to be at all the events to take photos and be engaged. I ended up meeting a lot of people. And I built a really strong relationship with Sean. We would film TikToks and laugh and be able to <laughs> I'd challenge him. And he would always call me boss was like the joke because I would have to be like, hey, we need to do it this way and this and this. And he'd be like, okay, boss. And yeah, actually at the election night, he ended up telling like my family that I'm part of his family. And it just, we, we built a real genuine strong connection throughout the election and it's it's exciting. So think about what will happen in the future and with the whole team. The whole team is amazing. And that was that was such an invaluable experience to you because um, you know, and you've already talked about some of your connections with some of the people on the campaigns. Like when people get into these situations, when you started in, were you a little nervous? Oh, yeah. I definitely went in feeling and I'm sure I'm sure the co-host here can probably relate sometimes you go into fields that are mostly adults and you're you're worried about how your opinion will be treated and how your thoughts will be validated and if it will be hold to the same standard as everyone else because you're younger and because you don't have as much experience as some of the other people there but I was really respected throughout the whole thing my like opinions and thoughts were always taken into consideration my opinion was trusted I was treated as like the expert on social media um and I think that reflected in my ability to take risks. Like with the TikTok, that was something that 
a majority of the team was really nervous about. They didn't want it to come across as like a joke or Sean being immature. And I had to just have confidence in myself that I know uh, what performs and what will connect with people who don't already follow Sean. And they trusted me in that. And then we ended up having some videos with over 14,000 views and getting on to the algorithm on TikTok we wanted to get onto. So it paid off, but yeah, it's definitely, you definitely have to have confidence in what you're doing, take risks, and hopefully the team you're working with will trust you and support you no matter what happens. So talking about um, taking risks and everything, how would you say that you did build up the confidence to do that? Because I think that's really difficult to build up the confidence and say, hey, even though this is a big risk we're about to take, I think I could lead you guys to the right like opportunity. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's definitely nerve wracking. Um, I've had some experience. Well, I've had a lot of experience working with some social media stuff through the university and then a couple jobs on the side. Um, so I kind of a, was able to develop some, uh, some skills that I was confident in. And then when I took on this position and was doing my research and l- coming up with my ideas and figuring out what was being received and what was, what wasn't. I was just able to grow my confidence and I kind of just decided if I wanted to take full, full, um, just take this opportunity to its fullest, that I would have to do that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because um, when you, I mean, you're stepping outside your comfort zone all the time. And that's a matter of fact for you, right? You just know if I want to do something interesting, I've got to go explore something I may not know exactly the essence of yet. But I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to meet people. I'm going to connect. I'm going to move. Like you're, you're a walking testament to that mindset. What kinds of jobs have you had? I remember back, and we talked about this yesterday. But good old Nelson Mack. I remember you were again. We were. I was trying to get you to do things, and you were in your own thing, your own basketball world, and doing your gig. And, and I was working with you on a resume. It took forever. I was trying to say, fix this, fix this, fix this. And you were going to the Salvation Army and and uh, for a job. I remember. I, I think I think it was member uh, some kind of assistant manager or something. Do you remember that? What kinds of jobs have you had? Talk about the resume experience we had together. We worked on that, and just the uh, the what kinds of job experiences you've had that you think have had an influence on you and helped shape you a bit. Yeah. So I'm definitely a worker (laughs) I've been working so when I was 15 I started working at a restaurant and throughout all the jobs I'm about to list I've had I've worked at that restaurant up until about two weeks ago so that job was consistent in my life for the last like six years um but I'm leaving the country soon which I'm sure we'll talk about so I had to leave that job and that so that was consistently like always in my life that serving job and then when it comes to just jobs I've had. I've worked as a program coordinator for a couple camps in my first couple years in university for the Salvation Army and then for the Norwood Community Center. And then I've had some social media jobs. I worked for the university. I started off volunteering for student groups. And then once I got some experience, worked for the university, worked for a couple of local businesses, and then eventually Sean's campaign. Which hey, how, is really important, what... how important was the volunteer work? Oh, so important, <laughs> invaluable. That's oftentimes your greatest stepping stone. And it doesn't always have to be the work. It's just the connections you make through, through those people. Yes. And yes. when you demonstrate that you're like selflessly going to give this work that you're not being paid for, but that because you like what you're doing, people notice it. People 100% notice it and will notice what you can do. 
And if you're even if you can do good things for free, imagine what you can do when you're getting paid. <laughs> so you just described to us, you know, your whole your whole journey. You started this restaurant, then you did social media, the university, and everything. And now you, you've just mentioned you're going to leave the country. Tell me about that. Yeah, there's when you talk about when Magnifico talks about those dots. I'm definitely I'm a dot collector. I've definitely collected a bunch. Um, but now, so I'm I've spent, this was my last semester at U of W and the university chose me as like an intercultural mentor. So I'm going to Scotland for six months and documenting my experience and looking at intercultural communication. And then I'll come back and um, do some like diversity assessments and talk about my experience. And it will all get turned into like a little commercial to promote the exchange program and hopefully push some people to uh, take the chance to go across the world. So that's an amazing, uh, that's an amazing experience. Um, and your story is amazing altogether. But we are coming to the end of the episode. So what would your wise words be to someone maybe my age or someone who's just about to go into university of how to choose a path and how to have the same confidence that you got? I would say my, my biggest advice has two parts. The first is to try as many things as you possibly can. So take as many different classes as you can, try as many student organizations as you can. If they don't have ones you like, start ones. Like do as much as you possibly can. And then once you start figuring out what you like, then I think you're able to see like what comes naturally, what do you like? And for me, it was really hard to put aside my narrow, I just wanna to go to law school, mind path and like take the ego out of it. Take, oh, I've been telling people I wanna do that forever out of it. I want to prove I can do it, take that out of it, take all of that ego stuff out of it and just genuinely focus on what you enjoy to do because I think that's what you'll be successful at. That's awesome. Hey, just one last point, though, uh, before we go to quick cues. I just want to uh, – your mom has been such an – we talk about mentors. Your mom has been such an inspiration to you. Could we kind of end this on um, just how important your mom has been? And, and the influence, even from the Nelson Mack days, like you talked to me yesterday about, and I, when you said you didn't always have the great social economic benefits or uh, that some kids had, and it reminded me when I, when I talked to you yesterday, I thought, yeah, and I lived, I lived in a house on Traverse Avenue growing up uh, with family from Italy we were bringing in. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of stuff, but I never felt like I didn't have. I just felt like I had support and everything. You know what I mean? Just talk about the influence yeah. of mom and stuff. I think that's an important end to this because she's a, she sounds amazing. Yeah, she is. So growing up, we we lived in like uh, government assisted housing, and and similar to what you said, like I never thought of it, anything of it until you start getting to those like middle school ages, and you start seeing that oh, if people find out. And I went to private school during middle school, and my mom like worked her butt off to make sure I could go because she had always valued education so hard. And then you start noticing like differences and like, oh, I don't get to go like on vacation during winter break. Oh, how come like I have to bus to school every day? You just start noticing these little differences. And then throughout high school, I definitely went through a period where I was a very like shameful of where I lived. I would get dropped off like down the street and didn't want people to know. But then my mom actually went back to high school when I was in high school. And she graduated and then went straight to college and graduated with honors. And I got to see her go through that journey. And it was just so amazing, oh, wow. so inspiring. Yes. It was, yeah. She's always been my role model, but seeing her 
her like struggle through getting assignments done and seeing her get the school bus to school at 6 a.m to practice her group project or whatever it was I was just like wow like she's willing to work that hard for me and I'm willing to work that hard for her and yeah and now I'm definitely not shameful like I'm kind I'm proud of the fact that I was able to overcome a lot and I think especially we're in human rights that's another thing I feel like I understood and experienced some of the theories we would talk about on a different level than just like from a textbook like if we're talking about cycles of like abuse or drugs or anything like that like I witnessed that in the environment I was in so I could like understand the dynamics and how these work to a different level which I think allowed me to um succeed and being able to talk about them and do work in them so yeah Hey, you forged through a lot. That was amazing. And you really made me think about uh, just um, how how to persevere and how to move forward. And so when you have a role model like mom, though, that's awesome. That's just yeah, awesome. And uh, yeah, and that's that's an awesome piece. I want to make sure we mentioned her because when yeah. you told me yesterday, I actually got a little tear in my eye because it reminded me a bit of my mom, too, just about pushing and, and working. And, and you know what? Don't, don't worry about what you um, don't have. Worry about what you have. She always mm-hmm. said, or just enjoy what you have. So, powerful moment there. I'm going to turn it over. We have one last piece, Kira, if you don't mind. It's called the Quick Cues. And who's doing the okay. Quick Cues? Andre, me. since he hasn't been On- here. <laughs> and now Andre. you're gonna, now you're going to make me cry with think of my mom and. I know. Oh. Like, it, it's amazing. I, like, that's why like, we got to end it off yeah. with a quick and yeah. happy. And there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah, so it get, is a happy thing, though. It is it a happy is. thing. It is, like, yeah. like, those are influential people who move your heart. And I think of her, my mom all the time. I think of her all the time. Anyway, these are called the quick cues. Andre, okay. explain. Let's start the quick cues. Quick cues, it's a pretty simple exercise. I'll ask a question and you'll answer right away. Let's get started. Are you a dog or cat person? Dog. I have a wiener dog. Her name is Nala. Does, does pineapple belong on pizza? No. Waffle or pancakes? Oh, waffles. What do you do? What do you put on toasts in the morning? I don't eat toast. <laughs> oh, but favorite fall, favorite winter activity? Uh, staying inside and warm. Yeah, I could agree with that. Messy or tidy desk? <laughs> Messy. How you can't get work done when you're tidy. Now, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh no, I haven't seen either. Well, pronounce D A T A. Data. Are you a Starbucks or Tim's person? Starbucks. Favorite social media? YouTube. Sorry? YouTube. 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 Okay, okay. It's texting or phone calls? Texting. Outdoors or indoors? Outdoors in the summer. You, now, uh, your favorite jam? Now, strawberry or raspberry? Oh, raspberry and, and with seeds. What are you listening to right now? Um, I'm listening to the H3 podcast. <laughs> So what's your favorite genre, you'd say? I like R&B, soul music. My top artist on Spotify rap was Bill Withers. Really? Wow. Now, toilet paper over or under? What does that mean? Oh, wait. No, 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 I don't want to explain this, but, you know, toilet paper, the over. Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yeah. yes, over, so that when my dog goes like this, it doesn't unravel. Oh, okay, okay. Now, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Uh, a favorite restaurant? Oh, ah, taking too long. Next question. Your favorite podcast? Okay. <laughs> this one. Hey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Woo! 
She got the right answer. Okay, yeah. so we wouldn't have had to just erase the whole tape, Kira. You no, nailed exactly. that with the perfect one. And I know you listen to a lot of podcasts, so we feel quite privileged for you to mm-hmm. play our game and say we are your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm. We're the eight or nine listeners of our podcast. That's an important thing for us. Anyway, you know what? What a what a pleasure having you on. I hope you had, did. You have some fun talking to us. I love. Yeah, of course. I I, I just love when people tell their story. Yeah, it's fun. I wasn't sure where it would go. Um, but yeah, this is awesome. I think you guys are doing awesome work. This is no, this is a great story. Like, and when I connected with you quickly and I, I saw you again, where did I see you? I think in the exchange district or something when you were putting, when Sean was putting on for the Loney campaign, I think I saw you in there. I went, Kiara? And then you were involved with that. And so we connected to you again and I had in my heart thinking, oh, I want to talk to her more. I want to talk to her more. So this is always... This is always an important part for me, like people that with whom I've engaged and interacted and where I just get inspired by your story. I think it needs to be told. So I really appreciate you being a part of this, Kira. I really appreciate you sharing your story. And ladies and gentlemen, friends, people who listen to the podcast, super happy to have you listen at this time. We have, this is, I got to tell you, this is episode number 10 for season five, episode number 60. We've done 60 of these. Wow. So it's amazing. It's an amazing time. 60 of them, a big collective. Wow. Ooh. And that's another edition of Adventures in Careerland. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>